Hello, this is Dr. Beverly Wright, and thank you for listening to Tag Data Talk, sponsored by Emory Continuing Education and hosted by Dr. Beverly Wright. Emory Continuing Education offers many certificate programs related to the practical application of machine learning, data science, advanced Python and Tableau, and other analytics tools and methods. These applied programs leverage experienced executives, academics, and practitioners with advanced degrees to deliver these Saturday courses typically taught in around 10 weeks. Learn more about the emerging technology programs at Emory Continuing Education to help boost your career advancement at ece.emory.edu. I hope you enjoy this episode of Tag Data Talk. Thank you for joining Tag Data Talk. With us today, we have David, Zach, and Mark, and we're talking about leveraging workforce analytics for strategic advantage. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. you. Awesome. Well, let's start off with some background. Uh, You guys tell tell me, why are you so cool? Well, Beverly, happy to go first. And I think my wife would be the first to admit that I am not cool. Uh, but I will tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I, I'm from the lovely state of North Carolina, born and raised in Gastonia, North Carolina. Uh, did my undergrad work at Chapel Hill. I'm a big Tar Heels fan. and uh, Did my postgrad work, got my doctorate at East Carolina University uh, in IO psychology. Uh, I currently lead our global workforce analytics team at TIAA, which is a financial services provider primarily for universities and professors in government and healthcare in the nonprofit space, largely. And I'm just very humbled and blessed to have kind of grown up with this team and and currently lead it, Um, but happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I should say, I forgot one other thing about me is I do play keyboard and sing in a small band uh, called Baby Got Zach. (laughs) Um, so we we play locally here around uh in the charlotte area at different bars and and breweries things like that love it thank you so much and uh go pirates right awesome david tell us why are you so cool so i graduated with a degree in econometrics from penn state uh go lions and um i i've always loved being able to measure things about people and their contribution to a business And so when I left ADP after starting a people insights group, a consulting group inside of ADP, the first thing I said was, I'll just take my clients and start a consulting company around people analytics. And so right now I focus on helping companies understand how to leverage their most important asset, their people, by using people analytics. And uh, uh, so I'm a goalie and I, I actually play hockey at least once a week and I'm not young, and uh, hopefully I'll do it until the day they cart me off. So, uh, ah, nice. Yeah. Well, I play pickleball, but that is there actually for senior That's great. people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put Very some fun. ice down, and you got it. <laughs> I know. Same thing, really. <laughs> Mark, tell us why you're so cool. Oh, thanks, Beverly. It's yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, and yeah, it's exciting to have such awesome uh, guest speakers on today. Um, I get fortunate to work in the people analytics space and um, just recently moved over to a company called MZ where I help out with designing products and um, fo- mostly around our skills products. And um, they're a labor market uh, analytics firm. So I, on the vendor side of, of the house now, I used to be a United Health Group for the last five years. Um, on 
on their people analytics teams as a director, uh, leading three different teams there, did things with talent intelligence, uh, talent acquisition reporting and analytics, as well as their human capital analytics team. Um, and just been awesome experience to dive into people data and how it helps uh, drive business decisions across the organization. Uh, previously, I was doing uh, slightly different work in management consulting for five years, um, doing some leadership developments as well as some traditional strategic planning consulting. Um, but yeah, Minnesota boy, uh, born and raised and uh, went to a small liberal arts college there called Bethel University and got my uh, MBA from a school called St. Thomas in Minnesota. And uh, yeah, just excited to be a part of this community and uh, be able to share some some tidbits along the way. Nice, nice, very good. You must like the cold. I do not. <laughs> I'm humbled to be in this. I, I love this group. This is great. So we're talking about leveraging workforce analytics for a strategic advantage, and um, not everybody knows exactly what that means when we say workforce analytics. So what do we? What does that really mean to use? Uh, what about analytics is workforcey? Help us understand that term. So I think it comes down to who are your employees, what do they do, and how do you measure things about them? And so the employee experience starts when they're actually customers or clients of yours, and they learn about who you are and what you do as a corporation, and they say, well, this is interesting. I want to be a part of them. And so think about the, the experience of an employee learning about you, going to your website. And so everything from the start of their being a candidate to when they retire or pass away. Um, everything about the measurement and the collection of data about that person is workforce data. And there's a lot. I mean, from security, key carding, to um, uh, things about the computer that they have that can all be put into that. That's my perspective, at least. Yeah. And some of it comes down to semantics. Yeah, I agree. People analytics, talent analytics, workforce analytics, it's all just the same thing of saying who works for you and what do we know about them. And as David said, it's exactly it. It's from when they actually apply to a job on your site, when they are a candidate, all the way if they get hired to when they leave your company, when they retire, when they you know pass away. Um, we're tracking uh, those interactions that they have, whether they move throughout your company or they're, you know, getting promoted in line uh, for, from the position that they're in, what, what's going on in their uh, employee experience? How do we measure the different things? How do we impact that in a positive way by mm -hmm. gathering more data and um, pulling in experiences from colleagues and, you know, industry benchmarks to say, how can we influence this to make it a better journey for you across that employee experience line? And really it's that, um, the workforce is, you know, it's kind of that blanket term for planning and organizing um, what, what is the work that's actually being done and how is that dispersed throughout the company. And we obviously define that in job titles and job codes and all those very specific things. But really, it's how are we structuring our company to get the work done that's providing value to our customers. And we want to make sure that that uh, value is captured in the most appropriate way through analytics and measured appropriately so that we're getting the best outcomes and the best incentives in place. Nice. Any other thoughts yeah, on agree. what is work for? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think, you know, the concept of an employee life cycle rings true in both of your comments. And that's certainly something we take a look at at each of those moments, as we said, interested to hire, to being included and developed to being evaluated and rewarded and, and on to transitioning on <clears throat> from the company 
how are we passively and actively collecting data about our people to optimize those experiences? And, and one of the things we always say on our team is that, you know, our people are our greatest asset. And there are mm-hmm. things about the employee experience that drive the customer experience in a lot of ways. And so one of the bigger questions we ask is, what are we doing from a people or employee experience perspective uh, to drive that customer uh, experience as well? So, you know, I'm a big fan of sports analytics, so I kind of liken Mm -hmm. it to Moneyball, if you've seen that. So, you know, we're, we're using different data points, metrics, analytics to sort of optimize the performance of the workforce in a way. Oh, love it, love it. So a couple of things that I heard um, is, and then I have a follow-up question, which is um, the, it sounds like when you say workforce analytics, it's about the employee and it's kind of, you know, cradle to grave as far as their relationship with you. So that brings up kind of um, subdivision number two, which is, yes, it's the employee, but it's even the person that's a potential employee because we start, you know, sort of ticking them, uh, measuring and that sort of thing before they're even an employee. And then another thing y'all mentioned was um, if you're making benchmarks or comparisons, it could be that workforce analytics includes people that are not, you know, the anti-employee. Like we want to compare this, you know, our company to that company and we're going to compare. And another thing that was mentioned was um, the actual work itself. So that brings me to the question of, is the unit of measure for workforce analytics is the, you know, are the rows always people? Is it, or could it be something else, like the type of work that's done or the type of rewards or incentives or something like that? Or uh, like help us visualize when we say workforce, even workforce data before analytics even. Um, what is that? Can that mean something other than people or is it always people? No, I think Mark brought this up. So you're benchmarking the jobs of what you think the people do. And so you look at a person and what they're contributing you look at the skills that they're bringing, you look at the type of work they do, and then you use benchmarks, like Mark was saying, to be able to say how much or in one one instance, how much are we paying this job against how much does the market pay for this job? And so, yes, there are other units of measurement. It could be a job. You could also be talking about organizations. You could talk about collections of people, whether it's a cost center, a department, uh, business unit or the company itself, and you can compare and you can even benchmark what's the experience of one group versus the entirety of a group. So you can talk about what's turnover like in a small part of the organization versus what is happening at the larger pieces. And that could be internal your, to your organization, or you could even be benchmarking externally to your organization and say, look at companies just like yourself and see what does our experience look like for turnover, for example, versus what's going on in the marketplace? Love it. Okay. What are some of the, um, so we, we've sort of got a, a better, um, thank you for that clarification too, a better understanding of like what is workforce data and then workforce analytics. It sounds like we've talked about turnover and tenure and things like that, but what are some of the other kinds of questions that workforce analytics can help, um, help with and decisions and things like that? One of the big ones we take a look at, um, in particular, we're very heavy in the IND space, I would say. So one of the big questions is, are we paying our workforce equitably? 
So we're doing a variety of analytics, uh, not only from just a regulatory perspective, but also just from a good faith effort uh, to sort of show and help managers and people in the business make uh, year-end compensation decisions and do that in a way that's equitable and driven by data. Uh, another thing is, you know, what's the impact of inclusion and engagement on some of these outcomes? And so we're mining and tying all those different pieces of data together to sort of answer those questions from the business. And the third example I'd, I'd say is, you know, we're not immune to what's going on around us, right? So what's the impact of COVID-19? What's the impact of going to a fully remote workforce? on the experience. So we're mining data from your emails, calendars, uh, IMs, and chats to get this view at the macro level of how the workforce is doing from a health perspective. It sounds a little bit big brotherish, but I can understand it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What are some other things um, that, because what I have so far, I've, I've been sort of extracting and picking at what y'all are saying is that um, definitely we're looking at things like tenure um, we're looking at compensation and are we, you know, paying on target, uh, the impact of things like inclusion and um, the importance of engagement. Um, we talked about satisfaction, does satisfaction equal satisfaction? And by that, I guess what I meant on my notes was um, employee satisfaction. Does that, how strongly does that impact customer satisfaction? Like, I, I can't remember who said it, but there was a quote about, if you want to make your customers happy, make your employees happy. I thought that was really interesting, like just period. Like it's hard to make blanket statements like that. So the sat and sat sort of thing, uh, working conditions like remote. Uh, what are some of the other types of business questions that um, that we can answer, especially some of the more strategic ones, given that work, you know, employees are our biggest asset most of the time for most companies. So what are some of the other questions that we answer? One of the big things that we tracked when I worked at United Health Group, um, I mean, we had 350,000 employees at the time in all across the world. I mean, it was a big organization and it was a lot around where are our people? <laughs> do, do we have that optimized? What locations are they in? What is the divisions and uh, different uh, business units that make up all of those different office locations? So part of our work was actually location economics. How do we optimize where we have offices, where, which groups of people are located there? Are we optimizing the workforce? And that expanded all the way down into our talent acquisition strategy of um, does this market actually support the groups that we need to hire as we forecast out into the future? Do we need um, you know, another 300 call center agents in this particular office location? Or are we set just having you know, kind of a, a set office there and we're able to manage turnover and just do replacement hiring on those folks? Or is this actually a growth area? So we would expand that quickly from what our current metrics showed in terms of tenure and uh, turnover rates and just employee headcount and where they sit, but we would bring in those forecasts to say, you know, how is this growing and expanding in the future? And can this market actually support that? So we would bring in a lot of external data that says, you know, who are the competitors in this market? Uh, what are they paying uh, for the roles? To how does it compare to, can we actually uh, recruit those folks uh, successfully? How many candidates do we need in the pipeline before we can actually see a hire? And so we're looking at historical hiring data to help determine that. And so it, it 
once you start touching people data, it, it really expands into almost all of your business decisions from real estate costs and what's going on there and, and how do you optimize those locations to your talent acquisition strategy to you know maintaining turnover and, and how do you experience wow. that when you have increased competition. And we yeah. look at manager effectiveness rates and employee engagement rates. And as Zach was saying, with um, compensation and benefits and equity, are we are we on par with with what we should be in, in our business strategy to retain folks and, and, and have that? And too often it's uh, companies struggle, especially in, during a pandemic time where all of the normal business um, kind of cadences fluctuate. Do we build talent or do we buy talent? And so a lot mm. of that comes down to that decision of do we have time to actually invest in, in, in deploy L&D resources to you know, kind of fulfill those roles that we have internally that we need value created from that and from those jobs that we've assigned that is directly impacted by what the customer needs are, but then do we have to go externally and actually buy that talent and hire those folks in and how do we manage that whole process? And, it, and as you know, it, it's a moving target. And so um, the customers change and the business units change and you know our products change and the market is constantly changing. So those impacts are, are extremely um, complicated when, when you start to try to model this and understand what's going on. But in terms of uh, one of the ways that we did this to connect the customer to the employee was through net promoter score tracking. Um, so we did a lot of NPS surveys um, to try to say, hey, if we're satisfying the customer needs and actually creating promoters out of them, obviously the business success and the employee success to, to, success to a certain degree will follow uh, along with that. Love it. Love it. Fantastic. Thank you for that. I, I think um, there are some metrics, Beverly, that mm -hmm. CFOs definitely love, like overtime costs and absence mm -hmm. rates. Because, and, and Mark touched on this a little bit about knowing your populations. But um, a lot of times when I deal with CFOs, they want to try and get a handle on cost. And so a lot of times I'll spend trying to connect business outcomes to how much people are actually absent and what are the mm. causes of absence? Can it be avoidable absence? And that goes to what Zach was talking about a little bit about health. Um, you know, are we are we hiring people necessarily that are healthy? Are there issues with the way our benefit plans are put together? And yeah. do we need to change how we what our cost structure is on benefits? To be to enable a healthier uh, population and healthier employee population. Wow, this is pretty um, insightful. I mean, I, I dabble in workforce analytics, but it's really cool to hear some of the things that that happen at depth. Um, I had a I know I had a request for um, hey, help me understand how to reduce safety incidents, and it actually came from the CFO's office, not from yeah. the safety group, from the exactly. CFO, because he's like tired of paying for days off, right. you know. Right. So it's really interesting. Uh, why are why do you think companies are not I mean, this is fascinating, but why do we not see more workforce analytics? Why do we not see more companies? Is there, are there certain barriers? Is it something to do with, what is it? I think it's actually the word analytics. I think mm. a lot of people are just frightened because we call it analytics. A lot of companies do it and they call it reporting. And they're happy with that because reporting is kind of non-confrontational and it's something they do every day. Um, I was at a conference probably about a year ago and I did this all the time when I spoke, I would ask people, what is analytics and who does it? And one person would raise their hand in an audience and I'd give them a gift. And then I'd say, okay, who runs reports? And then dumps it to Excel and then runs a pivot table on it. And then everybody would raise their hand. And I said, well, congratulations, you're all doing analytics. And then go, ah, ha, ha, ha. But I said, but seriously, that's what the problem is. People 
fear that word because they think there's some magic behind it, but there really isn't. It's something that everybody does every single day. Mm-hmm. Right. Why else do you think um, there's sort of like an aversion or barriers or is it, I don't know. What are some of the things that are blocking it? Well, as soon as you put workforce in front of it or HR or uh, <laughs> talent, automatic, or or, yeah. automatic <laughs> work, and it's coming from a cost center. It's really what, what it comes down to. It, it it's, it's hard to fund things when it's uh, an expense on the business. And to justify that, you don't always have that perfect ROI number to say, hey, we're going to add four new people to an analytics team that's just going to look at our people data. And the CFO is going to look at that and they're like, okay, well, what revenue is that producing? Well, none, right. actually. It's actually going to cost us a bunch. So how do we, you know, so the justification is extremely hard. Once the leadership gets a taste of the analytics that is provided and it allows them to make a better business decision, oh, they'll start approving that all day long. Um, uh. About nine years ago at United Health, um, we had four people in our, what we, basically a reporting function under HR. And when I left um, in 2019, we had 68 people globally just working on talent and workforce analytics. And so wow. over a short eight, you know, eight year time frame, the need and the you know perceived value of that analytic work exploded and created a huge expense. But you know, there was enough intangible ROI for those leadership decisions to say, yep, we need this data to actually function our business. Um, and especially as we, as a business is growing, it's needed even more. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I agree with David. It's it, some of it's just the scary analytics word, and, and the reality is it's it's also just an expense expense that's hard to justify. Um, successful companies, if they find a way to charge back for that to their internal customers, you know that's where it's a little bit easier to to swallow the pill mm-hmm. of, of of a cost if, if they can kind of you know defer those share costs to groups yeah. Yeah, and share mm-hmm. it across. Um, there's some trickery there that can be done to to get that through, but in general, it's it's just a hard thing to justify when you when it's a very vague concept um, out there, it's definitely becoming more popular and um, companies are adopting it, but it's a uh, hard sell initially. So, so far yeah, on the barriers, we've got uh, that analytics is scary. <laughs> we've got that anytime the term HR or workforce is included, it's like a automatically equating it as a cost center. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a budgetary challenge. Um, it's not, you didn't say this exactly guys, but I think there's a, a need for a senior leader sponsor and we don't always have that. Um, the understanding of the internal ROI, it takes a while to get a handle on that. And we don't always have that right off the bat. And also data literacy, like a lack thereof can sometimes serve as a barrier. Zach, did you have other barriers or anything else you wanted to add to that? That's a really impressive list. Yeah, I'd agree. And I'd say in general, and as simply as I can say it, people data is messy. And I think in a lot of cases, you see where the technology has actually outpaced our understanding of it, that we are inundated with HR technology. And you you can't think of people analytics these days without thinking of tech. And there are so many options just for surveys. There's options for HCM. And, you know, for instance, at TIA, we're consolidating systems finally into Workday to a large extent. So I think the landscape of the data, there's multiple disparate systems. So the team that's charged with pulling it all together and making sense and insights out of it, that's a large task. And there's a lot of build that has to happen there and strategic vision of where you want to go from a tech perspective. So that's one of the barriers, at least I've seen and encountered. Yeah. 
I mean, are, aren't is privacy an issue too? Because um, I was talking to the VP of a major telecom company, and he was like, "Oh yeah, we we collect Fitbit data. We give them a Fitbit, but we're going to collect that data." <laughs> so, is privacy or legal stuff is that a concern with HR stuff? I, I think it is, but I think GDPR is still mainly an European issue right now, mm, um, okay. and so. It, it hasn't hit the U.S. as much. I think there are areas of the country that are more in tune to it, but mm-hmm. uh, largely the U.S. is pretty immune. Right now, oh. um, we don't have those kind of issues. I mean, there's always HIPAA, right? We, we, can't, we can't just disclose things about people, but really right. the anonymized employee is still the way we understand things that are happening in our organization. Right, right. Like, I mean, if you start a new, I don't know, making this up, yoga class, and, you know, or an online competition where people have to get so many steps, you can still use, I mean, even yeah. anonymized, you can use data to figure out like, is that working? Is that making yeah. people healthier? You know, that sort of thing. Okay. Very cool. My um, last question for you guys, which is, I'm really excited to hear your answers. Uh, what advice would you give um, to analytics professionals and, and companies in general, really, or just leaders? Um, what advice would you give about workforce analytics? Like if they're trying to get started or if they're already doing, you know, dabbling kind of more on the reporting side, but they want to go deeper to get to more causal and understanding why, give us some advice about how they can really get this stuff done. I'll start where Mark like really hit the nail on the head. And and also Zach said something too. get an executive sponsor, get someone who's at the CXO level who believes, especially the CFO who believes in what you're doing. Um, make sure you tell the CHRO because you don't want to make him or her angry. But but definitely make someone an executive sponsor um, to be able to cover those costs. The second thing is make sure your data is clean enough that the things that it's saying actually tell some sort of truth. Like Zach said, um, it, uh, people data is dirty. It's there's it's all over the place uh, because there are multiple systems. Even in one system, you will still see really ugly, awful looking data. And so, to me, those are the two big steps before you even start your journey. Make sure you have people behind you, and also make sure your data looks relevantly clean. Cool. I would actually say there's a third thing in there that you implied, which is um, make your insights meaningful. Like you can't, sure. you can. You know, you don't want to just, even if it's great data and you have an executive sponsor, it still has to be fairly relevant and meaningful. Absolutely. Mark or Zach, yeah, do you have I anything think, you want to add to advice? Yeah, I would agree there. And I think the biggest lesson I would advocate for is starting with the, the end in mind, the question that you're trying to address, right? And at the end of the day, you know, you can do all kinds of fancy analytics. You can predict turnover 99% accuracy, but if nobody's going to use it, uh, and if it mm-hmm. doesn't answer a question or solve a big problem, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily matter. So I'd really work on clarifying the question the business wants answered or you'd like answered. And then Love the it. other piece is starting small. I think, David, you mentioned the pivot table. I can't tell you how many people I've also had the same conversation with. You don't have to build this crazy predictive model. Um, you just have to make sure the analytics you do fit the question and answer the question. So if it's a pivot table, if it's a fraction, uh, developing a numerator denominator, um, you know, there, there's all kinds of analytic solutions to answer the question, but don't be afraid to start small um, and build. Wow, that's 
really a lot of people listening to this are going to be very excited to hear that to be honest with you because some there's this thought that you have to write like a you know 30 page python script and run a structural equation model to have any benefit at all so that's um that's very insightful thank you mark any final advice oh absolutely but no and i agree with with zach and dave david they're perfect examples of kind of what needs to get done and when I was um, trying to convince our leaders to continue to do more and more, the magic word was always pilot or proof of concept. And you could always get somebody to say yes to a pilot or a proof of concept. Um, and that was your golden ticket to getting that executive sponsor to say yes to something because it wasn't permanent. It's not like we're going to go spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on analytics tools to make all this data clean and perfect and useful. It's like, nope, let's go you know, test this out somewhere in a business. And I agree with, with Zach to say, you need to find you know, where is the data that's going to be useful to answer those burning questions. So I always had my analysts go out and say, you need to sit in on the business operations meetings to listen for what decisions are being made and where are they just blatantly not using people data that could be actually helping them out. And so you need to create this curiosity within your HR team if you don't have a, a defined analytics team already developed to say, we need to be curious. We need to be sitting in to what are these leaders talking about? What are they burning to know? Where can data help provide a, a more... Uh, you know, a better strategy, a better answer to, to what they're dealing with. And if we can say, hey, we want to deploy some resources to go analyze this data, let's go do it. Let's call it a pilot program to go analyze turnover where we've never analyzed turnover in a certain division. And now you start producing those results and you show the leaders to saying, hey, your turnover is actually costing you X amount of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're going to quickly get the buy-in needed to justify more reporting in that area um, as soon as you start tying it to real business decisions and real dollars that are leaving um, the business. And, and that's kind of, yeah, where, where you get started in building those champions is staying curious. Let's experiment. Mm. Let's get some pilots going and get some buy-in and, and then it'll it'll snowball from there. Fantastic. Our listeners are so lucky to get advice from you guys because this is like just decades of of little tricks. Um, so it sounds like as far as some um, suggestions for advice, we've got executive sponsor, clean up your shop, get your data in order. You know, it's, it's a pain in the booty, but um, it needs to be done. Make your insights meaningful. Um, clarify your questions. Uh, don't just sort of jump in with the data before you really have a clear question of what you're trying to answer. Start small, sort of dip your toe in. Um, and I love to know your business and create curiosity that's awesome you know where you're almost exploring uh they may not even know how what you can do they don't understand your superpowers so maybe understand them so that then you can intelligently say hey why don't you look at this we can help you with that that's all fantastic advice thank you guys so much um so thank you again to david zach and mark for talking to us about leveraging workforce analytics for a strategic advantage Thank, Thank you, Beverly. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tag Data Talk, sponsored by Emory Continuing Education. I'm Dr. Beverly Wright. Have a great data set.